Hey gang, welcome to episode 56 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles, and this episode is brought to us by our friends at Drafty once again. This week on the show, we talk with our perennial favorites, the Speakeasy Society. Now, not the folks we talked to last week, who we also like. That's the people who do the Speakeasy NSF. This is the Speakeasy Society, and we're talking about their next show, which is going to be launching soon here in L.A. It is the second part of the Johnny Cycle, The Shell. More on that in a moment, but first, let's talk about Drafty. Now, I am, probably much to Lucas's chagrin, I am having a little whiskey this time while I record this because it's just been that kind of a week. And uh, I will not make this a normal habit because I don't know what's going to happen next. I really don't. We're in uncharted territory here. I don't usually drink while I'm recording this part of the show. Um, I don't usually drink when I record any of the show. This is supposed to be an ad. And instead, I'm telling you that I'm drinking Laphroaig. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Scotch. The serious stuff. If it doesn't taste like a swamp, I don't want it. Uh, but you know what I do want? Oh, you know what I do want. I want you to check out Drafty. Now, Drafty is our sponsor. That is the computer-aided design program that is built from the ground up by a theatrical designer for other theatrical designers. So, look, if you've got, if you do lighting, if you do sound, if you do projections, essentially, if electricity goes into the theatrical things you make, then you might want to give Drafty a try because its maker, Lucas, he's one of you and he wants you to have a good tool that works that doesn't cost you your entire profit margin on a job to use. He's always improving it, he's always tweaking it, and he's always got you in mind when he does these things, when he's not designing a show himself, then 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 he's uh, he's off designing a show. But he's using Drafty when he does it. Drafty-app.com. There's an unscripted version of the sponsor block, and I'm sorry if you didn't like it. The whiskey says I don't care. Uh, no, I do care. I care what you guys think. I'm so glad you enjoy the show. Uh, it means so much to me, and it it it's. One of the worst things about what's happening uh, with this next week is I'm not going to be doing the show. And I don't even have Zay coming in, uh, jumping in. We're taking a bye week while I go uh, to Ohio for work for a week. Uh, and I'll be there at, at what is going to be a very large event uh, that itself will have lots of lighting and sound. And I'll be covering that for the day job or helping to cover that for the day job. I'll be thinking about you. And I'll be thinking about all the fun you're going to be having. One, you're going to be going to see Johnny the Shell here in Los Angeles. It is opening up a week from the night when I record this. I'm recording this on Thursday the 14th. It's opening up the following Thursday. You're going to get a chance to see it before I do. I get to see it that Saturday after I return. That's the Speakeasy Society show. That's the show we're going to be talking about in just a couple of minutes here. There's other stuff that's going on all around the country, but here in LA, uh, tickets just went on sale. I believe they just went on sale for the Tension Experience. That is had an alternate reality experience that's been going on for a while. I've been talking to a few people who have been into it, 
and they are they are deep deep into the tension experience and it has revealed itself as uh what sounds like to be maybe a, a next generation kind of haunt type thing it's going to be going on in september the tickets are 125 dollars. they just got announced uh it's definitely a whole like you will go in alone type deal or at least at times you will be alone i was reading up on it just before the show started and yeah, there's been a, a lot of buzz, and we're gonna get some of the people who have been a part of the uh, the experience, people who have been uh, the beta testers, if you will. Uh, we're gonna try and get them on the show for you soon. I was just checking out the show Grandpa Johnson's is Dead, which was at the Grandpa Johnson's Cocktail Lounge in Hollywood, which is a gorgeous space, an Art Deco cocktail lounge, like right on Goenga which is just like insane, like, you know, half a block away from Kitchen 24, just up from Amoeba and the Arclight and all that good stuff. Uh, a couple of folks who are over at CalArts right now uh, were uh, the masterminds of it. They just came in from Chicago not a year ago. Uh, we'll get them on the show at some point. They get to, they're getting out of the country for a minute. But uh, definitely it was kind of a, a jukebox situation. There was there, I, there was some hearty laughs that I had. Um, one of the folks who was in that, uh, Scott Monahan, uh, he plays into this story a little farther here because a big thing happened this week. We've had the kids from Play Collaborative Arts on the show before. Uh, they are the people who did Retrograde and Erotica. Uh, Retrograde was in 2014. Erotica was last year. Last year, late last year, the site got shut down by the Vice Squad uh, for performances. They've still, they do healing arts, they do yoga, sound baths, a, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but the performing arts side they were doing comedy shows, these immersive interactive experiments, the, the tiny rhino, which was the theatrical drinking game, uh, one act play festival that was once a month. It was just, just a lot of fun. All that's come to a grinding halt because they've got to get permits. Now, I'm helping them with a crowdfunding campaign. Me, I, Noah. Uh, I'm sort of consulting, kind of, kind of campaign managing, sort of helping to steer the ship here. Full disclosure, I'm not taking any compensation off this. I just want you to know that when I say you should check out Play Collaborative Arts Indiegogo page by typing in Play Collaborative Arts or by going onto Facebook and typing out Legitimize Play and finding the Legitimize Play group, and checking out the campaign, uh, none of that money, none of that money will reach my pockets. I just want to be absolutely ethically clear here. That is not what's going on. Doing this one out because I believe that that venue is important. I believe that having a space for the arts, specifically the performing arts, specifically a place that has collaboration as a key component of their mission statement right in the heart of the arts district, sharing like a property line with the future Soho house, existing a block and a half away from Stumptown and a block and a half away from the American Tea Room on that stretch of DTLA's arts district that is going to be absolutely transformed in the next five years. Having a space there for the kind of weird shit that we're into is important. Also, I guess we're cursing this episode. Sorry. And that's why I'm helping them out. The goal is not small. 
um, because getting permits and dealing with expediters and building bathrooms and getting everything up to code costs. It's going to cost $100,000 or more to do all that. They're turning to crowdfunding to raise $75,000. It's a lot of money. I'll admit it right now. It's a lot of money. We need your help. There are a bunch of perks. Some of them are tickets to the shows. Uh, there is a $5 level, which you can just kind of come in. We need your help spreading the word. Maybe you're not Mr. Moneybags. I know I'm not Mr. Moneybags. If I was Mr. Moneybags, I would have thrown a money bag at them. I, I would have handed one over because throwing a money bag can actually cause grievous bodily harm. And I don't want to do that to anyone when I finally get a money bag. What is a money bag? Anyway, um, check out Play Collaborative Arts. Check out the Indiegogo campaign. Um, help keep arts in the arts district. That's the tagline. We're sticking to it. Elsewhere around the globe, Seattle Immersive Theater, uh, they they have a space of their own. This week, they held a Pokemon meetup. I don't have to explain what I mean by that to anyone now. Two weeks ago, if I said that Seattle Immersive Theater was held a Pokemon meetup, no one would really be... Did they play the card game? Did everyone bring their DS? Is, People still have Game Boys? Those would have been the questions you would have asked. You don't have to ask those questions anymore. You know exactly what I mean. Our world has changed. I mean, our world is always changing, but our world has seriously changed. And maybe we should all get into the AR business, but eh, no. Anyway, Seattle Immersive uh, did that. They've also got shows going on. They've got a brand new show. Check out the West Coast edition of the newsletter to see what the latest show there is. Uh, up in San Francisco, We Players, uh, the Romeo and Juliet is going on sale. If it hasn't gone on sale already, sorry, the whiskey. Uh, the Speakeasy, that the, the other Speakeasy, they're still on sale. They keep on adding dates. In New York, uh, New York's New York. It's just popping off. What's to say? There'll be something new. There's there's always something new. Um, we've got some shows lined up after our bye week. They're going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to recording them. I'll be recording one like ooh, as soon as I get home. We've got so much to look forward to. Just got to get through the next couple of weeks. That's all. That's the whiskey talking. All right. Uh, this sounds more like the end of the show than the beginning of the show. But hey. This one's with friends. Our friends at the Speakeasy Society. That would be Matthew Bamberg Johnson and Genevieve Gearhart. Lovely couple. Adore them so much. And Julianne Just, who is, uh, she's one of the co-artistic directors. I was going to like give some superlative, but um, hey, I've been, there's whiskey. I don't want to give the wrong superlatives to everybody. This is already weird enough as it is. Look, uh, this is a good show. These are folks who, I mean, let's admit, they're our friends. They're our friends. We do our best to be objective at all times. We are known for being a harsh critic at points. Go on the medium collection, you can see. Sometimes I just let it fly. And I will do that for friend and foe alike. I don't really have foes. I have nemesis. But uh, that being said, uh, who you're about to listen to, eh, they are not my nemesises. They are our friends. And we're going to get philosophical, as we do. And we're going to talk about this latest show, which if you haven't seen the previous uh, edition of Johnny, which uh, these are all adaptations of Johnny Get Your Gun, the, the Dalton Trumbo anti-war piece. Um, 
you do not need to have seen the previous part of the cycle. When they do the third part of the cycle, you will have not need to have seen the rest of it. But you will have wanted to, much like you will have wanted to see the shell, as much as I want to see the shell. Uh, so go do that. It's going to be fantastic, I believe. And on that note, I'll shut up until you hear my voice again. Let's, for the sake of, of everyone's hearing, I guess, let's go around the table and identify. Every person knows my voice, sadly. Uh, to my left... Uh, hi, I'm Julianne Just, and I am one of the co-artistic directors of the Speakeasy Society and a co-director on Johnny 2. I'm Matthew Bamberg Johnson, one of the co-artistic directors for Speakeasy Society, and I'm uh, performing in Johnny 2. And I'm Genevieve Gearhart. I'm the other co-director of Johnny 2 and the third artistic director <laughs> of the Speakeasy Society. <laughs> All right. Um, welcome back to the show, guys. Thank so you. I think there's like a running competition on like who's who's been on the show the most. I think you guys possibly are in the lead at this point. <laughs> um, it's like <laughs> you guys, and then I mean Third Rail's been on a couple of times. Anyway, that's that's all trivia. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about the new show, which is in process at the moment. That's right. Uh, we're doing this one before the show opens, which. We usually do stuff after the show, but I'm taking off out of town when you guys are opening, so I'm actually gonna miss I'm gonna miss the opening by like two days. Well, I should be there. I think the first Saturday. Great. Um, that's my intention anyway. Um, assuming everyone survives the process. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's give me give me the elevator pitch here on on Johnny Two. Go over in for the sequel? God, it's like everyone in Hollywood, straight to the sequels. <laughs> uh, this is always a planned cycle, so so yes. break this down for us. So uh, when we were working on Johnny One last year, uh, the cycle idea emerged in the process of developing that piece. Uh, as we were working on it, we realized uh, the book and the material, there was just uh, too much to fit into, uh, in some ways, the space we had for the first show. We were mm. using the... Uh, American Legion space in Old Town Pasadena, a beautiful, a be beautiful venue that was a great kind of place to begin the journey um, with Johnny. Uh, but uh, the book is so rich, and there's just so much we wanted to share with the audience and do with the audience, and that venue just didn't quite hold all of it. Um, and we realized that maybe no singular venue could hold all of it. So mm. this idea of the trilogy came out, and that we would um, kind of each section would function slightly differently and that the role of the audience um, would shift between the three. So in this one, we were really looking to create something that might be um, a more kind of active experience for the audience. Right, and, and uh, in, the first, in the first piece, we were investigating this memory space, right? So a lot of it dealt with uh, young adulthood or childhood in Los Angeles or Colorado, uh, which is where the character in the book grows up. Um, but in this one, we wanted to tackle some of the experience of warfare uh, without mm. necessarily depicting war. And some of the research that we did, particularly related, related to World War I, um, talked about the experience of what war was like when people weren't fighting, right? So uh, a lot of... Um, uh, the conditions very deplorable, certainly in the in the trenches and things of that nature. So that became a seed for some of what we're investigating in this piece. Um, but uh, you know, so, something that's consistent throughout all the pieces that we do is our 
uh, inconsistent approach to um, format and uh, mm-hmm. how we interact with the audience. Yeah. So, um, so that's something that we really wanted to uh, test in this piece as well. So we're using a different control mechanism than we've used before. And um, we're, we're asking some new things of audience members that we haven't played with in previous pieces. So it's all in some ways a grand, a grand experiment uh, with every piece. Well, and like, what's the scale here? Are we looking at something that's the same throughput as last time? Because remember, we were, we, we were in like what, groups of six or so. Right. So we, the last one was, was set up to accommodate up to 10 people at a time. Right. And I think we ran four rotations uh, a night. I'd say four to six. Yeah, yeah so, depending right. on the evening. Um, so potentially, this is, this is a, a set 30-person audience. Mm. Um, and that audience begins the experience together. Um, they don't stay together. <laughs> so if you're if you're coming with a, a friend or a loved one, you might not necessarily have the same journey they have. Um, but uh, you begin as a group of 30, you end as a group of 30. Um, but there is essentially about a 60 to 70 minute experience that is happening in various parts of the space at the same time that is continuous throughout. Chicken and the egg question here. Since... Is the scope or the size of the audience, is that being dictated by the nature of the material or was that something where you guys said, all right, we want to work in that sort of 30-person group and then sort of fit back through? I think something that's always, we always think about and it's always different per piece is what is the experience and ratio between audience member and performer? Mm. Um, And so I think the way we came up with 30 for this was based on how many performers, characters we knew we were going to have, and finding that right number to to serve each audience member. We have a lot of really intimate moments in this piece, more so probably than any of our other pieces. Uh, There's definitely more opportunities for one-on-ones. Um, and we really wanted to play with different group sizes. Mm. So we've got a lot of shifting happening with who you'll be experiencing what with. But it just felt like, to the number of characters, 30 felt like the right ratio where we could really play with the different size groups. And right. some of you know some of it is we set limitations for ourselves, whether right. those are uh, you know due to fiscal concerns or scheduling concerns or thing, things of that nature, but it breeds greater creativity, right? right. So through the through saying, well, we can't have more than 13 performers, well, then we make some decisions about the, about the piece as a result. And just what you were saying about the one-offs um, or the one-on-one experiences, um, you know, I think that those are in some ways, in many immersive experiences, the, the coveted thing that people are excited about and looking for, yeah. um, but, but you may or may not actually have a chance to experience that. And I think in this piece, you're pretty much going to have at least one. <laughs> but yeah, we, yeah, we hope... Uh, this piece we've definitely designed in a way in terms of repeatability and um, being able to come back and have a potentially significantly different experience. We're looking at about uh, 32 pieces of content and an audience potentially will experience between 7 and 10, depending kind of what their track is. Mm. So going in, the the audience will not see everything. And and it's not they will see everything with the exception of one or two things, like there's two side options. Realistically, you will not see everything or the bulk of of the content because it's not designed that way. Um, You'll have a full experience. We definitely... Um, are setting it up in a way that we're trying to make sure that um, the experience is um, filled out and that that audience would feel feel like they had a complete experience. But um, 
but the reality is there's going to be a lot that you also won't get to explore. So, um, if you come once, if you come <laughs> once, so, uh, but because of that, there, there's again a lot, we've designed a lot of, of one offs into this one as well. So, two, two questions there. One, when you're, how, how do you make sure that you get a full through line mm -hmm. for, for a track, right? So, are you designing each track's? each of the tracks separately with a certain amount of intersection. I mean, I, I can theorize a bunch of ways that this comes about, but I'm, I'm curious. Yes, I mean, there is a kind of giant grid of the whole the whole piece. In, in our minds, creatively, we're working in sections. So in this section, here are the um, kind of six pieces of content happening in that time. Some pieces of content happen twice, and you can do an audience swap between them. Um, others are longer, so they'll be once for that whole section. Um, but we are kind of working in, in these sections, which allows us some control over the, um, even if we can't guarantee this audience member is going to wind up in this scene here and this scene here, we mm. kind of know what thematically those scenes are doing in that section. So there's a little bit of a, a sandbox element? Yes, no, I, we, we definitely were inspired by Third Rail on this one, and so uh, we, I like to think of it as a gentle wind. Um, you aren't necessarily making the choice, but where you, where you stand and where you start will definitely kind of put you in a path of a wind that will take you mm. down certain roads. Um, I like that phrase, gentle wind. A gentle wind That's is nice. blowing you through the piece. So you you might feel it might be you might feel like choices you're making are changing who where you go, but to a certain extent you don't have as much control as you would at something like Sleep No More. And to, to your question about the narrative construction, um, when we sat down and actually started writing the piece, um, we used a scaffolding that ultimately hasn't, hasn't carried through for all of the content, but just in order to group different sections around different themes. Right. Uh, we had initially approached uh, it with the stages of grief in mind. Mm. So everything in this particular section is going to be denial. Everything in this per, uh, particular section is going to be bargaining. And that was, that was an initial seed for making sure that even if you're not um, experiencing the same uh, content, you're still going to be experiencing content that is um, similarly themed yeah. uh, uh, and will provide an, uh, a comparable experience for your character. As an kind of an emotional yeah. ladder yeah. that you're pulling through opposed to a like kind of intellectual content like right yeah the story will be different but hopefully the feelings you're having going through are similar it's kind of like i i often look at people people get confused when they look at like a chris nolan movie mm -hmm. and they think like oh he does all these interesting things with structure and whatnot and it's like well if you look at the underlying emotional underpinnings of it you can graft just about any of your traditional you know, you can break out your Save the Cats, or you can get your Aristotle on, or you can get your Hero's Journey, because emotionally what's happening to the audience is one of those patterns. The plot is running around in different directions, but the tonalities are hitting at the right point. Right. And it's just that he's adding, he adds an extra layer of obfuscation onto what is a fairly traditional grid mm -hmm. emotionally. And that's why those movies work so mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, how much did you guys... So you said you started there. Like, was there was there a certain point when you realized? I, I mean, I'd say one of the big things, and and this is a way that I think the novel really lends itself to this sort of 
theater. Um, you know, we right here, for the story for this piece, I don't think I'm giving too much away, mm-hmm. is, you know, essentially in the opening scene, it's the moment in the trenches, it's the moment when, uh, right before the bomb hits, that's mm-hmm. going to put Johnny in the state he's in, in the novel. No arms, no legs, no eyes. Um, and essentially, it's that moment before the bomb hits, right? It's the moment where your life flashes before your eyes, or different moments from your life flash before your eyes, or... And, and we really were interested, too, in kind of dream memory space where things, um, they aren't the way they actually were, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. New people get cast in memories that, in, in memories of things that they weren't there for. Or um, you're, you're actively able to kind of consider um, what's going on while watching it. So, so the piece really is that space between the moment before and impact. Um, and so once we kind of landed on that, that kind of started to frame what kind of moments we wanted to explore in that space. We've also introduced this kind of um, exciting character, I think it's exciting, to the piece um, of, of the author, as we're, we're referring to him. And so it's creating a space for us to kind of, um, uh, to, to be somewhat more, con- to create consciousness, I think, within the piece, like mm-hmm. consciousness of, of, of this coming from a book but coming from a book that was rooted in the author's some of his personal experiences and so how does that kind of add another layer onto the piece yeah and it creates a it creates a tension too i think between the character's memory and the author's intent so mm-hmm. we're playing with that a lot and you know you as the audience member are johnny you are the character so um there's a your your own memory what you're seeing is being called into question at times by the characters in the memory space by the author himself um so it you know provides a an interesting multi-layered experience the uh the other thing that we knew that we wanted to play with in this piece was elements of the body um so so the this piece is going to feature i I think more movement than um, some of our pieces in the past have uh, and also more of a visceral engagement with the the body of the audience member. So and and the space too. Yeah, I think yeah. uh, and and that's that's something that definitely always informs our process. Um, you know, I think there are groups that once they decide they were going to write a trilogy, they would just write the trilogy and then do it. Um, you know, so we want the space. We want the piece to respond to the space. And right. so in many ways, we we can have ideas of what we think the piece is, but until the space exists. That that really is going to dictate creation for us. Um, we had and, many. We had a couple different spaces in mind when mm-hmm. we were looking and settling on a piece, and the the show would be a totally different show if we had uh, went a different way with with the with the other spaces. We would have done something completely different, and so it's. I mean, it's very much. Some of the pieces are very much created just based on what we see with the architecture and things like. Let's, let's talk a little bit about space right now. Uh, and I know, I mean, I, bringing in sort of like from our conversations that don't happen on the air, um, the air. There's no air anymore. We're all just, we're all breathing digital. Um, the, it took a while to, to lock a place down. So I wonder if you guys could like speak to that. Like what's, what's up with the land here in Los Angeles? Because on the one hand, we've got copious amounts of land. And I remember when I started sort of this journey um, talking with Jamie Peterson and I think one of like our, our, our I think our second episode and like you guys were the first official episode mm-hmm. the pre-episode uh, and 
Jamie and I were talking, and he was like, I mean, there's just there's so much there's so much land here. There's so many buildings that are unoccupied, and yet, yeah, it's so hard to lock a space down. So I wonder if wonder if you guys could, yeah, go into the journey a little bit. Sure, here. absolutely. I mean, uh, obviously availability during time frames that you're looking for is always going to be a challenge. Um, but I think, I think one of the bigger concerns has to do with uh, being in a city that's built on film and trying to do theater. So, so lots of interesting spaces are often used for filming and that puts them economically out of reach for the scale of what we're creating right now. Um, uh, which is, which is a challenge. And also we want to try to make sure that the, uh, the spaces aren't overexposed, that we're not using the same spaces that other groups have used in the past, um, trying to find something new and unique every time. And then we're also picky in the sense that um, uh, we don't throw a lot of stuff at the shows that we make. So um, we, we try to be fairly restrained on set pieces and props and things of that nature. So we're looking for a space that does a lot of that work for us um, right. as well. So, so just in terms of of picking and choosing, um, there's a there are a lot of factors at play. Yeah. Um, is one element. I mean, the product, that production value thing is is a huge part of the fun of this. Right. Is that you know it's like oh, like get to explore that space. And, but I mean, one thing did, is this something that you've encountered? This something I'm curious because I know someone similarly is going to encounter this. The 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 threat of a space getting bumped because oh a film production just mm-hmm. came in and like offered us x amount of money i mean knock on wood <laughs> it hasn't happened to us yet but i think the threat always is there i also think the threat is the threat yeah. it's sorry <laughs> uh, i mean it would feel that way to us it does feel that way but the reality is part of it though is we are working with non-traditional performance spaces and that's definitely always it is always in the back of your head that they're gonna say we're so sorry we actually got this offer to you know in this case do, do a wedding mm-hmm. um can, can we actually switch you to next tuesday and you know obviously we'll have sold tickets and that that will be a problem but um it is interesting because they're not traditional performance venues their relationship to what you're doing sometimes feels a little less like oh you could just move the date mm-hmm. right like yeah. it's um it's it's more flexible to, we to also, them we so. also have to find the right relationship with the kind of owners of the space in a way because um because they're not used to doing probably maybe either performances or they're used to maybe more traditional theater or they're used to film we do get a lot of like you want to do what in here yeah you know and show have, us all your closets why yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just trust us yeah um so it's it, we really need to find partners that are excited about what we're doing and are open to being like, yeah, do it, go for it. You can almost do anything you want here. Well, and, and that with this space is where we definitely got lucky. They were uh, much more responsive than uh, when we initially uh, reached out to them. We were actually kind of envisioning a show in a, in a very different way than we went. And um, we were actually just asking about the courtyard. They have a beautiful kind of outdoor courtyard. And we thought, you know what? It's outside the space. I wonder, you know, I wonder if they'd let us do like a 15 minute just scene there. Um, And when we emailed them, they were actually just very, very open and generous to actually not just us using the courtyard, but their entire entire space, which as soon as that became apparent, we very quickly started reimagining the piece to be solely there. And we should say the the 
space that we're using is St. Mark's Episcopal Church, um, which is on Brand Boulevard in Glendale. Um, and uh, the, our contact there, we were lucky enough uh, that he comes from a theater background. So yes. he was actually very excited about having the space used in that way. Um, I think he works in their, in their music program, uh, typically, uh, but, but was, was thrilled to have some. Well, it's good to know that theater education is good for something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would, what would be, so this, to, there's conversations I'm trying to have out there in the world, and, and I'm kind of curious, and, and I think this might be something normally I would ask you guys, like, offline, but this, this could be useful mm-hmm. for everybody. What, what would help? in terms of having these conversations with spaces. Like, and, and we can get specific to LA here. And I, I think some things you know, carry over to New York and to other big cities. And I think in smaller places, there, there's an entirely different. I mean, LA, LA's got such a, a weird relationship in terms of space with the film industry thing. But is there, is there something that, that uh, the city qua the city could do which could help out with the kind of hunting spaces down or getting people to, to understand? Like, what's what's the thing that... What would be the ideal? Yeah, see, that's a really interesting question because when we approach spaces, I feel like we always have to have in mind how is this going to benefit them, right? right. Uh, aside from whatever meager uh, finances we can throw their way, you know, what is what is the sell? Um, so I, for this St. Mark's Episcopal Church, which is an operational church space, um, when we came to tour it, uh, there was this palpable kind of crackle in the air as everyone turned and said, who are these new young people? <laughs> um, uh, so in some ways for them, you know, the cell becomes, oh, well, we're bringing new people into the church space. Maybe people will be intrigued. Maybe they will come to events or become a member of the congregation, things of that nature. Well, and, and that was a bit of the same thing with the American Legion in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. You know, that was... That is a, it's a beautiful space in Old Town Pasadena, and it's a space that, um, and, and I, I think just the Legion in general is something that's not as, as playing as large of a role in, in the American consciousness mm-hmm. anymore, and mm-hmm. so here was a chance for them to get people who, um, who very likely have never engaged with the Legion um, to, to not only just come into their space, but start to learn a little more about who, who they are. Um, so I think that was a big part of kind of when we yeah. we when we set up kind of the deal with the Allegiant and and I don't think they had any firm expectations mm-hmm. of what that was like they're gonna come in here and we're gonna increase our membership by X or we're gonna um, get donations because of, of Y but but I think just the chance to have increased exposure to to a new group of people uh, we did a show Lodge. at the Glendale Moose Lodge a couple years ago R.I.P. Uh, and they um, they definitely um, that was a big sell for them was getting getting some new people in. They definitely got some new members out of it. Oh wow! Um, so it's I think that that can be that that's what's worked out well for us. I think you know I think about stuff like going through the city, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. city spaces, and you know, on some level, is it about kind of um, pulling resources and organizing? So it's if someone can get a meeting with some of the right people in in the kind of arts commissions for various cities around, you know, Santa Monica, Glendale, etc. Yeah. to just say, where they're not pitching actual projects, but like, I just want to introduce you to this kind of growing form. Yeah. Here are some of the benefits of it. Here are some of the companies functioning this way. You know, when they apply to you, they're mm-hmm. not quite applying like a traditional theater piece. 
Um, what about know. like a space registry or database or something of that nature of like friendly mm. friendly venues? Yeah. I mean that that's yeah. something that seems like actually as a crowdsourced thing, you know, we the companies could create that as a shared as a shared resource with each other, um, but but the city could also help facilitate that as yeah. well. You know? Well, because I mean, it's interesting because I'm watching stuff happen here in town that the, the Department of Cultural Affairs is mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. in. So, you know, there's there's this push to have a biennial here mm-hmm. in terms of public art, and there's a lot of there's a lot of site specific art being like installed, and it's it's really in that installation realm. And right. in, in some ways, it feels like L.A catching up to you know other like cosmopolitan art cities mm-hmm. in terms of the the art breaking out of the museum space and breaking right. out of the galleries and and that form with the art presages so much of this type of theater work right, right? this idea of like oh art doesn't need to live in a gallery oh theater doesn't need to live in a theater like people can start understanding it and as that push starts to happen I I almost hope that we can just leapfrog instead of like okay well 10 years from now they'll finally get on to the idea that like oh we can do the theater in this place where you know it's a dry riverbed and we can do a piece of theater there just like we can stand up a mirror and like have it reflect the lack of water and thus you know make a statement about the drought that might or might not be one of the art pieces I was gonna say is that actually happening I don't know it might be (laughs) sounds like I can't remember Um, I know there's there's one about a window that's like covered in sweat and there's Um, the water wheel from the Someone from the Annenberg family, I think, on the LA River is doing a giant, like, water wheel as well. Probably, yeah, but <laughs> but uh, and there's and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that stuff. That stuff is absolutely fascinating. It's just you know, it's it's not it's not my fight to fight, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's something I'm I'm wondering here if 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 it's if it's time mm-hmm. for that because. Mm-hmm. Watching everyone try and 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 sell these this the idea of doing this sort of stuff and what the what the intangible um, kind of benefit mm-hmm. for it is and I, I think some of it's also like you know who who's the audience for the work right the idea of like okay we're gonna expose people to the space but like who is it that's coming mm-hmm. because there's a way in which there's this other thing about the market here for all of the events and all of the film shooting is that not everyone knows every single space, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a part of me almost feels like if we just find one location scout who like loves this type of work, <laughs> we'd all be set, right. you know. Yeah. But then the but and and the flip side would be like that person would be able to say like oh yeah like I'm also a location scout for film so like your space I will love know and love right mm-hmm. and, like it's is it slightly corrupt? Nah, <laughs> what is it? Um, but th- these are the things that, um, well, actually, like, Sudoku keeps me up at night. But, like, these are the things <laughs> that theoretically keep me up at night. Well, what, what you were saying about, um, you know, the buy-in from the city in the sense of just, just is it something that the city itself values, right? right? So, so can immersive work, can live performative work be treated with the same degree of interest and, uh, you know, the excitement as as the visual art world is is being given right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think part of the um, the tough sell with it is throughput, right? Right. Uh, you create a a visual installation in Union Station, right? And, a thousand uh, people can come. A thousand people yeah. can come by and see it. Um, you know, 
depending on the nature of the piece, I mean, you know, we're doing a show for an audience of 30 a night right now. Right. And, and so I do think um, that, and, and, and personally, you know, I, I think immersive work, um, well, it can be scaled in many different ways. I think something that, um, that definitely colors the work we make is, is we do value the intimacy of it, that, mm. that that's part of what's special and what it can offer. And it's something we as a company very much like exploring. Yeah. Not that we wouldn't do a piece that wasn't that wasn't a, an integral part of it, uh, right. given a certain set of circumstances or resources, but um, but that's uh, but how do you you know that how do you convince the city that creating something that maybe only you know only let's say on a good day a hundred people could experience um, is is kind of worth them investing in on their end when uh, just through the space resource alone, not a financial investment. Yeah. Um, when they could let something else go up that 500 people could see, you know. Right. Um, and so, um, I, I mean, and I think that's a fair a fair concern for them to maybe have, but how do you, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's... There's it, no answer. No, it is a... I mean, the, the flip side of it is, you know, some space somewhere. I mean, you get some corporate party that gets logged into somewhere, and... The flip side of that is, well, they get a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. You know, that space gets enriched yeah. through cash because, you know, someone with a lot of money is is buying the exclusive rights to use that space for a while. The, the thing about this kind of work is that, at best, it mythologizes the space, right? Like, here's the place where this thing happened and thus adds that layer of, of cool, you know, for... But, but, you know, admittedly, kind of a dorky kind of cool. You know, we are talking about theater right now. But there's, there's this other side of it all where, I mean, there's such, there's such an active crisis for Los Angeles in terms of theater. So much to the point where, like, I shy away from calling this stuff theater and talk about it as, like, immersive performance just because certain words have legal connotations these days yeah. with and just you know with what's going on with equity you know and the, and the, 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 the battle has gotten we're a year into that fight on the, the intimate theater contract and equity's digging its heels and this this sense of there's a very different requirement here in Los Angeles like the, the intimate theater contract came into being because there was no stopping people putting shows on and actors producing their own work um, and yet there was a definite need to have a certain amount of protection uh, and for people who were active in the union to have a way to access getting involved in those shows. And it's clearly a financial and a logistical burden on the union to have that happen. But we're, we're, we're at this impasse, it feels. And I sometimes wonder how that winds up impacting this form because this form is so strange and... I know that the union issues have even impacted, say, like Disney when they were trying to put together, you know, a LARP, like on the the grounds. It's like you can't have an actor work for like six hours straight, shepherding tourists around, and not give them, you know, normal breaks under the performer contracts that Disney had in place. And so instead, they were like, "Oh, oh, we'll get the." Uh, we'll, We'll get the girls who run the shooting gallery to do it instead, and all of a sudden your basic cast members are being roped into this sort of thing. And it feels like such a missed opportunity. It feels like we're at the same place where SAG was half a dozen years ago when they were like, well, what's this YouTube thing? And and how do we deal with it, right? And instead of people being 
I mean, it feels weird to me to say the following words, that somebody at SAG got creative and found a way to make it work. What? Um, and yet, at the same time, here in this, this more traditional world, we're not seeing that same sort of ingenuity mm-hmm. kind of pop off. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I guess logistics are on my brain these mm-hmm. days. Like, how to crack this nut. And when there's this, this article of faith in my mind that this city in particular is ripe for this performance for breaking out. And we see it, right? God, I'm on a rant. Sorry, guys. We see it, though. We see it. I mean, you know, Anthony Burns talked about The Day Shall Declare It twice on the air. Like, twice about one show. Mm-hmm. Like, like a clearly converted and obsessed. I saw that he was, like, talking about, looked back and saw that he was talking about Annie Lesser's pieces, like, in the write-up that he did on it. And so, and that's that's a mainstream thing. That blasts out to everyone who listens to KCRW, yeah. right? He's sitting there going, like, you know, to have have take your non theater friends to this show, and that just is, seems to me like okay. Well, this is this is this is the way in. You know, this is how the things happen. They extended twice. Mm-hmm. You know the but the sad part is is that entire complex, which could be so fun, is is going to be rubble soon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or we see Smorgasburg pop up at the row. Uh, and that place is all under construction, and there's like so much fun territory there to play with, uh, and maybe there's something that can happen there. But but a lot of these spaces where there's if there's no financial incentive, what do we what do we leverage? And I guess it's I guess it's publicity for the developers mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like in a world of where influencers matter. Well, I think I do think though it's it's a slightly different ballpark about looking for the non-neutral neutral space, which yeah. is like I think about something like the Day Shall Declare. Like obviously that wasn't a neutral space, right? But design and design elements were a huge part of creating that environment oh, God, yeah. and uh, transforming it. And so, um, in some ways, that well, it's not a traditional space rental. In some ways, it kind of is closer, potentially in, in terms of to the parameters that that would exist within. Um, and I think that's the, on, on one level, the easy thing is on, to find, I think, the, not that anything's easy in this field, right? Yeah. Uh, but on one level to, to, you know, put some effort into creating a list of like, here are five or six kind of open-esque venue spaces. Like that, warehouses. Or, warehouses yeah. or um, buildings that are between occupants that would be open to, to this. Um, knowing that those spaces are rather neutral and either that the pieces coming in are going to play with that neutralness as part of the aesthetic they're working in or that they're going to have the ability to kind of bring stuff in and and transform it you know it's tough is um is kind of the spaces that come with a lot of personality and character to them already obviously uh, you know the space we're working in working in a church right now like there's a lot of storytelling just built in to the space and uh, obviously we need to that was a part of it is we want to get it it was like great we're we can't pretend this isn't the space right, right. a like, section of the piece is built around a religious artifact from 500 ad you so know, you know you can't you can't buy that you, you know it's a little like there's stained glass windows and pews like it we either actively need to play against that in a conscious way or we need to embrace, embrace that that's it. what it is and, and use it. Yeah. Um, and so I think those are kind of two, two different spheres with space. And, yeah. um, and 
I think the things that would be appealing or you need to sell it to the more kind of neutral spaces, I'm calling it, not that they are neutral spaces because right. there's a lot built into them already, but um, open spaces, let's say open, uh, versus spaces um, uh, like the American Legion, like that it's actually different what those spaces well, there, it's an active space where there are things happening in it I think you know yeah, it's yeah. being used on a daily basis versus some of these other spaces are yes they're in between occupants or it's before it's going to be demolished or it's before they're going to rebuild mm-hmm. something so I think that Mm-hmm. Those are kind of two different categories. But that's something that brings up another challenge, which is the window that you have in which to create. You know, theater right. is always a liminal medium, but then when you have a space that where literally there is a month in which you can occupy it and then it no longer exists, yeah. uh, you know, that's that's a that's a whole different ballgame. A serious, uh, no, no really must close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no opportunity to extend. Yeah, yeah. there will be no extension. Yeah. yeah. Um, What's uh, let's talk about the company as a whole. Uh, yeah. One, I'm kind of root back to the to the show for a second. Uh, you've been you've been playing with this Dalton Trumbo piece for like a long time now. Like, has this been an interesting experience to be be you know, kind of chewing on one thing for as long as you guys have been chewing on? I feel, I I mean, as a company, to have this much time to explore one source material I'll call it I think has been really really fulfilling mm. because so often we we are really working under extreme time limits I mean the hollow went up in I mean it was created and went up incredibly quickly yeah um, so to have this much time to really I mean we've been doing a lot of workshopping a lot of exploring different ideas I mean I think it's it's something that we, as a company have talked about since we formed wanting to be able to work on something this long to really have a development process and so I think it's a nice balance for some of our other pieces that have to happen very quickly because we get a space and it's like this is an opportunity too good to pass up let's make it happen to have this where we can really sit with things and and really find new things and and to really build on things we found there have been so many things that we found last year that we've just revisited the same idea and Kind of made it richer, made it more intricate, mm. um, changed the way we look at things. I think has been really helpful for us as a group. Well, I guess a, a side question there on this one, just just to make clear to, to to everyone, I'll probably put this in the cold oven too. Put in my notes to put it in the cold oven. But I mean, even though this is part of a cycle, you've designed this one so it stands alone. Yeah, right? that's a, that's an important distinction. So so it doesn't matter if you weren't able to see the first installment of Johnny, this will still be an understandable experience for you. Um, For people who were able to see the first piece, there'll be some little Easter eggs and hidden nuggets and it will build upon that world uh, in an effective way, Um, but you won't be lost if you didn't have a chance to see the first one. And as you guys plan the third, which I'm sure is like in the back of your head, the same sort of idea kind of going through. That it could be a freestanding piece for those who are just kind of meeting the meeting us and yeah. meeting the the material. the material, but that it would there would be these connections to the earlier pieces for those who had seen them that they could um, definitely we you know there are, there are some characters from the first one that we've kind of evolved that reappear again you can be meeting them for the first time and that's gonna 
completely be fine. But for those who saw the first one, they might recognize the characters from from the first one. And there is some mad dream to potentially figure out a way to try to run all three and rep at some point <laughs> to uh, go and you know do do all within a series of a month, you know, and uh, give people that full experience for the really mm-hmm. intrepid. Mm-hmm. But also, that also really plays into something you guys have done from the start, which is like the Easter eggs mm-hmm. and like the little, the little hooks from piece to piece. And what was in, in in the previous iterations, it was like there'd be like a little thing that would hook you, and then into the next piece, and it was like a totally different piece. But there was still a little element there. And here, this opportunity to like have there be hooks that jump from from piece to piece, but stay within the same world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's always been feels like something you guys have been evolving towards. Yeah. Uh, from from day one, um, what? How do you guys feel the the evolution is going? How do you how do you feel you're you're evolving towards right now? As a company or this show? As a company, <laughs> as a company. Um, I mean, I definitely think with each piece, you know, it's it it's a. I think the the form is such that you there's so, so much about it you can only learn by doing right by right. working in it, and because the audience is such a vital part of the experience. Um, to a certain extent, you have to make a piece and actually bring invite audience into it and and give yourself the space to see how how they engage and respond with it to 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 even begin to understand how the work can work. Yeah. Um, so I think you know obviously the more shows we do, the more we learn about how um, our audience seems to be interested in engaging and. Um, in some ways we want to work with that and in some ways we try to work against it um so i think i think we definitely grow as artists with each piece we do we definitely walk out of a piece with lessons learned um but i think also our our curiosity continues right like our desire to continue exploring this form we we definitely haven't hit the point where we're like you know what, this is... We figured it out. We, We're done. We yeah. figured yeah. it out. This is what works. Let's just keep following this form, um, this form of this form. Yeah. Um, and I think I think also, uh, just in terms of company structure, we're trying to do a better job of of planning ahead. So I think I think when we started, it was we were in some ways very reactive, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and just jumping from thing to thing based on what was available and what we were feeling, and it was it was all heart. And I think we're uh, trying to preserve that heart, uh, but insulate it with a little bit of. Uh, uh, head as well, um, and we're working with a producing director right now who's who's helping us in that process, uh, John Henningsen, who's been super helpful in just uh, formalizing some company structure and doing things like mm, season planning, and, and which is which feels anachronistic uh, to what we're doing in some ways, but uh, well, and, and I think good. it's it's a small step, right? Because yeah. it's it's definitely like it's great to do season planning, but given how we work as a company and how vital space is to what we can do, it it, it has to all be kind of with a caveat, and yeah. so and not that it's a waste to to have a plan and to have a projected trajectory as a company in a season. I don't think it works the way it might with a traditional theater company or 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 just with more with creating work that has more traditional parameters of need. Um, So we we have a projected idea of what our you know next year would look like, but space to come full circle is such a vital part of that equation, and if we if we can't make a space happen, and again because it can't just be any space, it's it's not that. 
um, any space will do and we're just being picky it's a lot of these pieces don't they need the space needs certain attributes or elements to even work so I, I think that's where it is an interesting space and it's it, so it's it's we're transitioning um, but it's it's also comes down to this kind of space element as well in terms of how quickly we can work that transition yeah Comes down to the space. Well, yeah. that's that's the that's the site specific and site responsive <laughs> side of things. It's like in a in a in a deep way, and you know it, it makes sense. That the thing that makes all this the most exciting would also be like the trickiest, the mm -hmm. most demanding element, right? Like that's the be you know it's like horseback riding. You know, without an ordinary horse, this is not fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. On that note, um, I think we'll close this off for for this iteration. But uh, we'll definitely we'll definitely be talking again. Because we're always talking. So. <laughs> that sounds great. And yeah, just the you know again on the show uh, we're we're going up on July twenty first and and running weekends through August thirteenth and it's St Mark's Episcopal Church. So. And this is this has got you guys are doing what progressive. That's right. Guy? Yeah. Yeah, we're trying. So so the first the first show is only uh, twenty five dollars for the tickets. Uh, those are those are mostly sold out at this point. So grab them if you <laughs> haven't already. Um, and then it goes up sequentially uh, across the weekend. So closing weekend is fifty dollars tickets. So. All right. So get in early, and it costs you less. Early adopters are are given favor. All right. Uh, we're out for now. All right, once again, just want to thank our guests, Julianne Just, Genevieve Gearhart, and Matthew Bamberg-Johnson of the Speakeasy Society for being our guests on the show today. Hope that intro at the top wasn't too weird, y'all. Uh, you can find the Speakeasy Society online at speakeasysociety.com. You'll also find links to tickets for Johnny Cycle there. And remember, it's progressive pricing. So this, the earlier in the run you go, the less it's going to cost you. You can also find them on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, they're at the Speakeasy Soch. So speak the Speakeasy S-O-C. And on Facebook, just type in Speakeasy Society. I mean, you know, it's a relatively good search engine, even if it's the bane of our existence. Hey, how do you find no proscenium? If you still want to find no proscenium, hold on. Mm. Ah, whiskey. If you still want to find no proscenium after you're listening to me drink liquor, you can find us at no proscenium on Twitter. You can find me at Noah J. Nelson and say, no, don't drink on the radio. That's wrong. It's like, this isn't radio. This is a podcast. Um, you can, I was about to give my personal email. You can email us. I was about to give my phone number. <laughs> Guys, I've only had, like, a finger's worth. Like, I'm a lightweight. Oh, that reminds me. I'll be announcing office hours, like, as soon as I get back. Uh, we're going to all go down and drink at the Thirsty Crow together. So uh, probably, like, on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, so you'll get to see this in person. It's awesome. Anyone who's, like, been drinking with me knows, like, I'm fun to drink with. Um, yeah, so on that note, you can email us no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. This one's going down the record books. Uh, you can find no proscenium, no proscenium.com. You can find no proscenium medium, medium.com slash no dash proscenium. We've got new reviews that have gone up recently. We're going to have even more soon because there's more shows. Um, you can give to the Patreon, which I promise does not go to booze. It goes to paying the expense of the show and making the show better and more fun stuff. I'm going to rewrite the whole like Patreon pitch like soon. Like it's been on my to-do list for two months uh, because we got to set some new goals 
because I want to make this thing even more self-sustaining and I want to pay some other writers. But let's not wax poetic. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. I do thank every single one of our backers who um, help this show exist. Like, honestly, if you guys all pulled out, I'd stop doing the show. Please don't pull out. Do not do not pull the money out. I want to thank Lucas Kresh, lifelong friend, and the creator of Drafty, drafty-app.com, for being our sponsor. And I know Lucas is jealous of, of things I've consumed today um, as I record this, because he told me so. All right. Hey. Um... I'm recording this on Thursday the 14th. Uh, I seem to keep recording this show on um, nights when really terrible things happen out there in the world. Whoa, tone shift. Um, This little shared world of ours, this alternate reality we've forged with each other, it's... I don't want to say that it it doesn't balance out what happens in the world. But it's it's the dawn. It's the reason to get up in the morning. And all of you make that possible. Not just by tossing money to make this show possible, but by going to the shows, by seeking it out, by asking questions, by making the shows by wanting stuff to be better, by believing that there is something to this idea that if we get more personal and more intimate and honest with the way that we approach story and theater in our lives, that it makes for a more compelling, I think, a better world. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being part of this journey. And I mean it when I say that I look forward to meeting each and every one of you when I get the chance out there. Hopefully, when we're off out there watching a show together, running into each other afterwards and and realizing. So, we've got a bye week and then... After that, we should have an episode. And between now and then, I will be at the Johnny Cycle. So, until then, until that next episode, I mean very specifically, a very specific show, when I say, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>